Everyday moments are small, simple, and ordinary. We can often grow frustrated with them, yet these are the moments that create our lives. Following Jesus is the same. What if following Jesus was more about the ordinary moments rather than the extraordinary? What if being with Jesus was more important than doing for Jesus? What if my spiritual life was dependent on everyday, ordinary rhythms of being with Jesus? An everyday disciple being with Jesus to be Jesus to others. Okay, by a show of hands, how many in here enjoy eating? Okay, man, still, okay, that's better, better, right? You all enjoy eating at some level or another, right? Do any of you remember learning to eat? Right? Most of us don't, right? It just kind of happens, or maybe we had moments where we learned to eat this new food or learned to eat in this new way, right? Because throughout the stages of life, you and I have learned to eat, right? It's something that we have learned and maybe even somewhat comes natural to us because of a craving inside of us. All of us, we start down here with the sippy cup or the bottle, right? This is my dad feeding me a little bottle early. Oh, Jill's so cute at, I don't know, two weeks old, right? We all start here. We all need help. We all need someone to feed us the milk or the formula, whatever it is, right? So that we, our craving is filled, so we're filled up, so the emptiness goes away, right? Then all of a sudden, this is where we're at today in my family, we move on to these plates, which I look at these plates and I'm like, why don't adults have these plates, right? These plates are awesome. There's cool designs on them, but I'll just leave it at that, right? And you start to have solid foods and maybe you get these little fun utensils that you can uh, eat with, right? And you start to play around with your food as I did as a young kid, right? You're learning and you're like, how do I eat this? Or how do I put this here? And what do I do with this? And it just becomes that, right? And you kind of fill up and then you look at the, ta- or at the, the floor and it's like all the leftovers are right there, right? And then you move on and you grow up and you move on to actually having a plate, right? And you go from being eating all these like chunked up foods or these cut up foods, right? And they're trying to feed it to you to all of a sudden you get things thrown onto your plate. You can throw things onto your plate and you are actively eating for yourself, right? You've learned how to eat the food. And I remember growing up, right? There came a point where we were given, right, food on our plate. We would eat it. But if I didn't like the meal, like stir fry, let's just say that, right? I didn't like stir fry. I would be like, Mom, I don't want it, right? Very quickly, my mom would say, well, you can make your own dinner, right? And very quickly, I liked stir fry, right? And so that's what happens. You learn how to eat, and you learn to kind of how to fend for yourself. And then, right, and then for most of us in the room, we're kind of at this stage, where you get the big boy or the big girl plates, right? And then you get the steak knife, right? You can dive into some fun food. You can dive into the things that you and I enjoy, the, 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 the fun stuff, the exciting stuff, the steak, the potatoes, the fish, whatever it is, right, that you enjoy. We get to this point where we're making decisions for ourselves. We're eating what we enjoy. We're delighting in the fact that we can eat this food, Because here's the reality, for you and I physically growing up, we learned how to eat food to meet a craving or an emptiness that was inside us. Because we need life and we need to thrive and we need to ultimately have energy to go do certain things. was the same spiritually. What's interesting is for each and every one of us, we are on this journey of growing up spiritually. 
And as we grow up spiritually, we're invited to feast upon the food that God has given to us and enjoy it. Because here's what's interesting about that. In Scripture, in the Bible, when authors refer to the Bible or maybe spiritual truths, a lot of times they use the illustration of food. This is what Peter does. Peter in 1 Peter 2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. When you have tasted that the Lord is good, you will continually want more and more and more of it. And where do we find that reflected inside of our spiritual journey? I believe it is in reading scripture. So today we're going to talk about what does it mean to eat the Bible for the sake of filling ourselves up with God's word and the gospel and allowing that to form our life. We're in this series called Everyday Disciples, and we're looking at what does it mean to be with Jesus in the everyday What does it look like to follow him in the everyday and be a part of relationally interacting with him in the everyday? I think, if we were to be honest, it's one of the hardest things as a follower of Christ to get our hands around. I used this illustration last week. It feels kind of like slime. You had that slime where it hits your hand and it just kind of goes liquidy and just falls through and it hits the ground. You're like, why do we buy that for our kids? When it comes to being with Jesus every day, it can feel like slime. You're like, how do I do that? Where do I do that? What does it look like? And this series is an attempt to ultimately form us into being with Jesus, becoming more like him, and ultimately doing what he does and loving others out of that. That as we form rhythms of being with him, being around him, we start to pick up these habits, per se, that ultimately dictate our life and reform us from the inside out. Last week, I introduced a challenge to you that We're challenging everybody in our church to consider. It's a 21 days of fasting and prayer. One of the reasons that we want to invite you into this is we want to invite you in because we feel like God is leading us there. But ultimately, we want to help form inside of each and every one of us a relationship and a being with Jesus on a daily basis. And fasting and prayer does that. I believe Fasting is one of the lost spiritual practices of our day. When we talk about fasting, usually we talk about it in a dieting format. But when you look at the early church fathers and even Jesus, when they interact with fasting, there's very spiritual implications to it. I believe this. Fasting does two things. As I fast for spiritual reasons, it, 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 uh, in me it develops a craving for God and a compassion for others. Fasting should develop a craving for God and a compassion for others. As I fast from a meal or a food or technology and fill that void with God's word and prayer, I should delight in and desire him more and more as I continue to do that. But also, fasting, what it helps me do is it helps me sit in a place that many physically or spiritually are in. As I fast from a meal or a type of food, It reminds me that there are people that are walking through poverty or hunger or walking through spiritual lostness. As I put myself there, it reminds me that there are people in my life that I need to be aware of and have compassion towards. So we're inviting you into 21 days of prayer and fasting starting next Sunday. Next Sunday, you're going to have a card on your seat. This is all self-initiated, right? We're inviting you to do this. If you don't feel comfortable with it, you're not sure what this looks like, you're newer and you're like, I'm not sure. It's all self-initiated. We're not tracking these. This is for you. 
You can fill one out, but you shouldn't feel pressure to. On it, basically, it's two things. One person I'm praying for, and you write the name of that person, and maybe that person is the person you're going to invite to the party. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, right? And praying for them, having compassion develop in them. Secondly is one thing I'm fasting from. You might be like, well, how should we think about that? I think about it in choosing one of three categories. First is fasting from a meal. Maybe for some of us, we can do that, where we fast from a meal a day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and fill it in with God's word or prayer in the process. Or maybe it's a type of food, right? Second category is a type of food, a coffee or chocolate or sweets or salty or whatever it is, right, that you crave. And instead of eating that thing or going to your local coffee shop like Cave, right, you fill it in with God's word and prayer. Or technology, social media, TV, phone usage. Instead of having time there that you would cut back on that and fill it in with God's word, and fill it in with prayer, allow a desire to develop inside of you. We'd encourage you to think about, pray about it this week, and then next week you can fill it out, take it with you as a way to remind you of the journey we're on. Next week we also are having a worship night at Cave as a way to launch into the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'd invite you to that. Whether you are doing the 21 days of fasting or not, come on out, get some coffee. It's going to be a full drink bar that you can get coffee and have some fun things there and enjoy some worship and some different ways to engage with that. We'd love for you to be there. It's a free event. It's just a way of us gearing our hearts towards the journey that we're about to go into for 21 days. Now, if you're fasting from coffee, I'm sorry. We're still having it at Cave, and you're just going to have to suffer alongside of that, right? But the point is that we would gear our hearts towards what God is doing in the process. Today, here's where we're going. Simply this, an everyday disciple eats their Bible. An everyday disciple eats their Bible. And I was talking to someone earlier, and they're like, is that what we're talking about? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, that's a lot of fiber that we're going to be eating. And I'm like, not literally. We're talking about spiritually, man. But here's the reality, right? When I talk about eating, all of us know this. All of us have seen this at some level or not. What is the first thing or one of the first things they do when a newborn baby enters into this world? Right? Relationally, they connect them to mom and dad, and then they help them connect to the food source so they know where to go so that they can uh, not only be filled up, but ultimately know where life is found and where ultimately their physical body can grow from there. Right? Connecting someone to a food source is of high priority, so physically the development of that child or that baby continues and they learn something inside of that. Because when a baby comes out of the womb, they're used to having the nutrients and used to the craving being filled. They need to learn ultimately where that craving can be filled in this new world per se. To fill it up, to ultimately fill the emptiness. It's a life-giving measure and it trains them on where to go. What's interesting is this. Jesus throughout scripture uses an illustration to ultimately connect us to what life with him is all about. He uses these words, born again. Literally, just like you and I were physically born, we need to be spiritually born again into his kingdom and into life with him. He says this to Nicodemus in John 3.3. He's talking to a religious leader, Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
Just like you and I were physically born into this world, there is a spiritual birth that happens when you and I say yes to Jesus, when we connect our life to Jesus, when our life becomes marked by Jesus. That spiritually we go from being dead to alive. We go from living in the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of life. That spiritually this birth happens. I have a new identity now. I have a name. I have a community of people around me and a purpose and a mission that I live off of inside of this new birth. Spiritually, I get to lean into that. And here's what's interesting, and I think this is one of the most dangerous things that we can believe, maybe a false assumption, that when we say yes to Jesus, that at that point, everything makes sense. I know everything. I know exactly what to do. I believe Jesus, inside of this illustration, inside of this spiritual truth, is telling us that spiritually, you and I, when we say yes to him, we ultimately enter into a new life, yes, as a baby spiritually. That you and I's spiritual journey is just that. It's a journey of growing up in Jesus. My encouragement is that you would see this series as an encouragement of that as ways to develop what it looks like to be with Jesus for the sake of growing up in Jesus, and today being very much that illustration. Because when I say yes to Jesus, I begin a new life. It's marked by Jesus. We would believe that the spirit of Jesus resides in us as we say yes to him, and we start this new life that's marked by him, and has ups and downs. We start down here where Literally, we need people to walk beside us and we need to go to Jesus every single day of every minute, ultimately connecting ourselves to the life source and living inside of the new kingdom. But here's the reality. As I get connected to Jesus, I start this journey of what it means to follow him and be with him. There's a craving that has been and continues to develop even stronger. It's a craving to be filled up with grace and truth. I actually think our world yearns for it, whether they're connected to Jesus or not. I think there's a lot of people inside of our world that try to find that in various circumstances and situations, relationally or through addiction, whatever. And really what they're ultimately trying to connect to is Jesus and his grace and his truth. And when you say yes to Jesus and you have that moment where you're like, I get it. There's a craving that continues to develop inside of you for that. And the opportunity to lean into that is found in Scripture. That ultimately, I would believe the Bible, the Bible fills that craving of truth and grace through who it points us to, Jesus. Here's what you need to know in this entire sermon, that I will say this over and over again. The Bible does not save you. Reading the Bible does not save you. Reading the Bible does not get you to eternal life. Reading the Bible does not get you salvation, but it points to who you have salvation through. That as I read scripture, I, found out, I find out who God is, what he's done for me, and who I am in light of that, and how to live that out. We see that in John 5. Jesus adamantly points to this. He says in John 5, you say the scriptures diligently, He's talking to religious leaders, people, churchgoers that would read their Bible day in and day out. He says you read it diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Listen, this is not a sermon about how to do better and how to get it straight with reading your Bible for the sake of finding salvation or eternal life. 
Jesus very clearly says that is untrue. But what does he tell us? He says these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Here's the reality. As you and I dive into the Bible and read it, as we create a habit around it, the habit doesn't save us. The reading of the words doesn't save us. It reforms us and forms us into who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how to live that out in our lives. It points us to the very one who is the source of life, the very one who is the source of love, the very one who is our salvation, is our joy, and is our defender, and is our protector, and is our shepherd. That as we talk about Eden, the Bible, what should happen is a desire and a delight to be with Jesus and to be formed by Jesus should grow. Not, not a duty that I have to get done because that's exactly the church thing that needs to happen. But ultimately, as I eat the Bible, and you can ask if someone's over here spiritually eating on the steak and has done it for years, there is a joy and a delight that grows inside of that. For some of us, we might be down here, right? We're like, how can that be? What does that look like? And our hope today is that that would start a journey for each and every one of us. Because here's the reality. Physically, I learned how to eat, right? I learned how to eat, and I go home, and I eat, and I do all of that stuff. But often, I'm down here, right? I'm physically mature to eat by myself. Often, I make decisions that don't get me anywhere health-wise. I will make two decisions, one on each spectrum. Either I'll go throughout a day and I'll eat junk, right? You all been there where you walk into the office, you forgot to eat breakfast or you're running out late, you forgot your lunch, you forgot breakfast, so you didn't pack your lunch, and then you see a cookie tray there. And there's oatmeal raisin cookies there. And they're pretty much a breakfast bar, right? And so you eat five of those and you have coffee and you're filled up, right? What happens? You filled yourself up, but you're still empty. There's no nutrients or health that came with it. So I can do that often, or I come over here and I just eat nothing. Why? Because I forget to eat, or I'm too busy to eat, and I make the excuse that I got too much going on, right? And so I just drink what? Coffee all day long. So then at five, I come home and I'm all like jittery and just like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? Because I didn't have any nutrients inside of me. And I think spiritually we can do the same thing. That ultimately inside of this journey is not a how do I do better, but where is life and love found? The Bible is all about Jesus, the life source. And as I eat it, I begin to grow in a healthy awareness of him and delight in him. What is the Bible then? Why is that the life source? Why is that the thing that we need to read? Because like I said, for some of us, it may be hard to read. It may be a challenge to read, or we've tried it, and it hasn't become a habit for one reason or another. So why is the Bible so vital to read? This is my definition of the Bible. It's not on the screen, but if you follow along, you might want to write it down. The Bible is this. It's one story. It's a love story through 66 books by 40 different authors over 1,500 years united by the Spirit of God is a love story pointing us to Jesus through 66 books by 40 different authors over 1,500 years united around the same person and same story of Jesus by the Spirit of God. The conversation 
God wants to have with us in Scripture is all about hearing his heart and seeing his love. He wants us to have a conversation and encounter with him through his word. He doesn't just want us to see it as a duty or an action that I have to play out, but rather to hear his heart and to see his love throughout Scripture. In 2 Timothy, Paul encourages a young pastor named Timothy in chapter 3, and we'll come back to this. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're going to come back to that. Paul wants us to see where the life source is at. He wants us to see where we can find life and where we can find love. And ultimately, that is in the person of Jesus. And scripture just points me to that reality. He says these scriptures, they're inspired by God and they give to the righteousness of Jesus and how that plays out in our life. But he gives a warning just a few verses later. In our Bibles, the chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's a continuation. It's not a break. And Paul, he gives a warning because it's very easy for us to grow up in it and to learn to eat junk or to learn to eat nothing. He says this in chapter 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Listen, this is not a 21st century thing. This has been a human thing. It's a human thing that when Paul's writing this, they're navigating it. And he knows that it will be navigated throughout history. That we can end up filling ourselves up with junk. The desires and my will and my wants lead me to the teachings or the verbalization of things that agree with me. I'll turn my ear from things that are true and turn my ear from things that are ultimately inside of God's love and grace for what I want to fill myself up with. Do you hear what I said? The oatmeal raisin cookies, they're just another breakfast bar. They're just another option. And very easily, spiritually, we can make that case. Oh, it's just another breakfast bar. It's just another okay option. And I'm just going to live out of that. What we end up seeing is it fills me up for a minute, but it leaves me empty, ultimately. Or we just turn our ear completely. We fill ourselves up with nothing. We just try to run, 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 do it. And it leaves us empty. And what Jesus, more than anything, wants us to see is his love and his truth and his grace. But I think also at a heart level, he wants us to see that we cannot do this on our own. That we need him and the salvation that he brings, and we cannot be our own savior. And when I'm eating junk or eating nothing, I believe I can do it my own way and how I want to do it. When I ultimately lean into God's truth, it's hard at times, it's delightful at times, it doesn't make sense at times, and yet it continues to remind me that Jesus is the central figure of my journey and should always be that. Reading the Bible is not about getting a checklist done or a duty fulfilled. It's about delighting in the fact that the gospel tells me that I am loved more than I could ever imagine, and I'm as sinful or more sinful than I could ever believe, and yet Jesus came into the midst of that and saved me. Out of his love, 
He saved me, and he continues to want to save me from this point on. So, what does it mean to eat the Bible, and what does it look like? What does it do to me? Well, first, eating the Bible, it encourages health. Eating the Bible encourages health, just like physically eating healthy encourages healthy, right? Eating healthy promotes healthy living. I know it's not a shocker to you. I looked this up. I researched this, right, just to double check. But scholars say that if you eat healthy, you live longer, right? And that's just probably a like, no duh, right? That's just a thing. That and exercise going hand in hand, we live longer. We do better. There's life to be had out of that. And the reality is this, when you and I eat the Bible, there is a healthiness that begins to exist inside of our life. When you and I are connected to healthiness, not just in a habit of going through some pages, but in actually communing with Jesus through that, there's a healthiness that exists in us that ultimately promotes healthiness and it draws out unhealthiness. We'll get to that here in a minute. 2 Timothy 3, 15. This is what Paul writes to Timothy right at the beginning. If we're going to go to the next slide. He says this to Timothy, how from infancy, right? I think maybe he could be talking about physically from infancy, but I think also you could argue he's talking spiritually from infancy. You have known the Holy Scriptures, right? If you're early on in your Jesus walk, right, one of the first things people get you connected to is reading Scripture. Why? They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be healthy spiritually I think one of the ways, there's probably a number of things we could talk about. One of the ways is a growing wisdom in the gospel. A growing wisdom in the gospel that grows in my understanding of my need and responding to such. The more that I center my life around the good news of Jesus, his perfect life that he lived for you and I, the death that we deserve that he took the place of and he rose again so that we could have life, that gospel and the implications it has to my life, as I grow in wisdom of that, I grow in assurance of his love and I grow in motivation to love others out of that. Healthy living is not having all of the church activities in order. Healthy living correlates to a wisdom in the gospel that correlates to looking more and more like Jesus. My goal with this sermon is not to get you to read the Bible more so that we can say we read the Bible more than any other church, right? If that ends up happening, sweet, awesome, cool, right? But that's not the goal. The goal is as we feast on and eat the Bible, we would look more and more like Jesus. And there are going to be high points to that and low points to that because of the nature of the gospel. The healthiest thing to do is eat the Bible for the sake of reminding us of the gospel, who God is, what he's done for me who I am and how to live that out. So as I eat, what do I need to be aware of? What do I need to be aware of inside of these realities of eating leads to health? First is this, living in healthiness is an awareness that grows as I eat in the Bible. As I eat, a living in healthiness grows. As you read scripture, you will be forced to see what it looks like to live inside of righteousness, live inside of grace, live inside of mercy, what it means to extend that to others, what it means to live as someone healthy following Jesus. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 1. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of the Lord. 
that Paul's prayer is that they would grow in what? Love. Love more and more and more and that you'd be able to discern, that you'd be able to understand that out of that you would be seen as blameless and righteous. That scripture, what it should develop in me is a healthy reflection point of who Jesus is, what he's done for me, and how to live out of that, how to be inside of his righteousness and to step into people's worlds and and extend that righteousness. Not look how good I am, but look how good Jesus is. The righteousness he's clothed on to us covers us, but it's also for our sake of reaching out and covering others and clothing them in a grace and a forgiveness. That as I eat the Bible, a healthiness in my life starts to develop and I start to see it. I start to make note of it, but I also need to understand this, that as I eat, I become aware of looking for the unhealthiness, right? As you start to eat healthy, let's just talk about eating apps, right? We had an app that costs like $100, $200 sometimes, and they let you track everything. They help you track the healthy items, and then they reveal the unhealthy items that you eat, right? And Scripture does the same thing spiritually. This is what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and active. Now stop there. That's really important to note. We do not believe Scripture is an ancient text that we look at for moral or ethical duties that we have to fulfill. It is living and active because the Spirit of God and God himself is living and active, and we believe it is powerful by the Spirit to transform us, to renew us, to change us at times and reveal inside of us the beauty of who Jesus is and what it means to live more like him. And so it's alive and active. It's not just a bunch of facts that we follow suit with. It is a communing relationship with the God of the universe, trusting that what he has to say applies to how I'm living life. It says, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The more that you eat upon the Bible, you see healthiness, yes, but you also see where there is unhealthiness in your life and in your heart, in your thoughts, in your judgments. And very quickly, it'll start to reveal things. It'll start to reveal the things that need to be addressed inside of your life, the things that need to be cut out, the things that need to be put onto the platter and literally shoved to God and say, you have to deal with this inside of me. And my my encouragement is this, that when you get to the point where unhealthiness starts to be revealed, May not happen first day, may not happen the first week, but eventually, as you commune with Jesus, he reveals the things of the heart. And as you do, please don't go to the first thing of trying to patch it with the healthiness in and of yourself. Allow God to do what he needs to do with the unhealthiness of your hearts. Because if I only uncover it with healthy practices, I never get to the heart of it. And what I read in Psalm 51 is that ultimately God wants a broken and contrite heart, a spirit that is willing to commune with him and to deal with the ugliness of my heart for the sake of what? Healthiness growing and developing out of it, not just covering it. That as you see unhealthiness, allow it to kind of be a conversation of sorts with God. Allow him to deal with what's going on inside of your heart. As I eat the Bible, the question is this, am I becoming aware of the gospel and the truths that it has for my life? 
my becoming more aware of Jesus inside of it and ultimately what he has to say for my life and how to live it. Secondly is this. It encourages health, but it also encourages movements, activity. Reality is this. Eating and activity go hand in hand. What do they say when you diet or you want to lose weight or you want to get healthy? You eat healthy and you work out or you exercise right. All of those things, right? So eating and activity go hands in hand. And it did for me as I played football. When I played football on Fridays, there was a pregame meal and there was a postgame meal. The pregame meal was usually a giant bowl of spaghetti with grilled chicken and sauce. And it was amazing. And I could eat that for every meal. I love spaghetti so much. And I would just eat it because it was a carb overload. It would give me energy to go out and play football for three to four hours and to go, go, go. But after I expended all that energy, I needed something to refuel me, which either was going home and eating leftovers, whatever was happening that night, or stopping at Arby's and just filling up a bag of Arby's and eating that the rest of the night. I had to refuel, right? We need to do that spiritually too. That as I eat upon the Bible, it should motivate activity. As I commune with Jesus, it should motivate me to have compassion for others, and compassion is this gut-wrenching emotion that moves me to activity. Compassion for others, and then listen to this. This is really important. I think this is where we often miss it. As I empty of myself, I need to refuel with God's word also. Confession time. When I am done doing a ministry event or serving someone or helping someone or I just have a long day of meeting with people and you've been there and you've done that and you have kids and you're trying to be Jesus to people inside of that and you're empty, one of the first things I do to refuel is TV or scroll on the phone, right? That just is the natural kind of zoning out that we end up doing. What I think God wants us to form a habit of is as I give out how do I continue to receive? Because the Bible is less about achieving and more about receiving who God is, what he's done for me, how I live out of that and encourages movement. 2 Timothy 3, 17, this is the very end of that passage. goes through the entire, it's inspired by God, teaching, training, rebuking, correcting. It says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The servant of God may be equipped for every good work. As I eat the Bible, it prepares me to move into the world around me, motivates me to do a good work, good deeds, love, encouragement, justice, and mercy should flow out of me. The reality is this. If I am not filling myself up with the right nutrients, the right energy makers, I will never move, right? Think about Thanksgiving Day. After Thanksgiving lunch, what do you do? You sleep on the couch, right? Eating the Bible motivates activity, not for the sake of our salvation, but for the sake of playing out our salvation. That it becomes a movement of my life because I can't help but let other people know the life and the love that I'm receiving through Jesus, and it inspires that and moves me in a new way through that. James 1 talks about this in a unique way using the illustration of a mirror. James 1, 22 and 25, he says, Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom 
continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He says, it is, it is improbable that you would look in a mirror and walk away another second and forget what you look like. And yet it is so easy to look at what God's word has to say and to step out here and not do what it has to say. And he uses that illustration almost in a laughable manner. And yet it is very easy for me to run into God's word and not move with it. And yet I think the crux of this in this passage, he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. When God's word and being in God's word becomes a freeing experience, it will by nature move you. Who is the perfect law? Jesus. Jesus is the one who achieved when we could not. Jesus is the one who fully fulfilled the law to perfection. And he gives us freedom out of his life perfectly lived, dying the death that we deserved and rising again. That when you and I look intently upon the perfect law that gives freedom, Jesus and the good news of Jesus, it will move your heart into places that are not experiencing Jesus. Listening is followed by doing. Doing is followed by listening. And as I trust God's love, it'll lead me into an obedience. As I trust God's love, it'll lead me into an obedience. As I look at Jesus, it'll lead me into an obedience. Because here's the reality. I don't have to question if I'm affirmed or accepted or loved. He's told me that. And I can start to live out what the word we would call it is faith and obedience. Because I'm trusting him enough that he's got me here just as much as he's got me here. And after I live out in faith, I want to circle back to the lovingness of our God, which continues to motivate the cycle. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Doing and listening go hand in hand. When you and I lean into the gospel and we eat the Bible up, which is ultimately Jesus and what he's all about. Lastly is this. It's health, movement, but it encourages growing. Right? The natural result of eating is growing. Right? I, I have grown because I am eating and I'm trying to eat healthy, all of those things, right? Because the reality is this, I no longer am using this, right? I'm no longer using this. I, at one point, was. And I needed the support of mom or dad to give me that. And as I grow, I'm able to navigate eating for myself. And the reality is this, spiritually, that happens too, as I start to eat spiritually, I learn some things. And as I do it in a safe circle of people, I learn some things. And it naturally develops things inside of me so that I can continue to eat and see the gospel in more delightful and beautiful ways that end up looking like a steak on my plate. So what does it mean to grow spiritually? I would say two things when it comes to the Bible. Listening to the Father and looking for Jesus Listening to the Father and looking for Jesus are the things I will learn to grow in as I eat the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And inside of that, see two things. That it's an invitation to listen to the Father and be in communion with him and to look for Jesus and his goodness and his good news throughout. What am I listening to when it comes to the Father? I listen to the Father's heart and direction. I listen to the Father's heart and direction. 
He desires to teach and train us. The reality is this, if Scripture is God-inspired, if it is alive and active, if the Spirit of God not only gave the words of Scripture, but are also training us, teaching us, and transforming us through Scripture, I have to believe that as I read it, it is not just a one-way street of reading some facts and information, but rather I need to trust that the Spirit of God will allow me to hear the Father's voice inside of what I read to ultimately meet me where I'm at and take me where I need to go. When you open Scripture, I want you to not think this is some facts I'm reading about God or about Jesus, but this is a way to commune. And as I commune more, I start to gear my ear and kind of lean my ear in uniquely and start to be able to listen to what the Father has to say and trust Him and hear Him more and more. And as I do, I start to live out in the ways that he guides me and gives me direction, he ultimately wants us to read his heart on every single page. Now, here's the reality. As he wants us to see his heart on every page, his heart of love and grace and truth, he also, as we listen to him, will correct and rebuke us, which are the words inside of that passage that no one really likes because I've never been in an environment where correcting and rebuking has been fun and delightful, and yet it's always almost been necessary. We need it in a loving, safe environment around God and his heart. And so as he directs us in rebuking and correcting, which is literally just turning someone 180 and saying, where you're going is going to destroy you. It's going to leave you empty. It's not going to fulfill you. What you're doing is going to mess up your life. He will do that with our heart and redirect us in the tone of love and grace because he cares enough about us. He wants us to see his heart and his direction. But secondly, we also need to look. And we learn to look for what? Jesus' character and his gospel. Reading scripture is not a way to salvation. It is ultimately a way to remind it of where my salvation came from and how to play that salvation out. That when you and I look at scripture, we need to ask, where is Jesus in this? Sometimes that's easier. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... He's there, right? You can read Jesus' name and hear his words. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. You really have to be intently looking. And it takes time. And it takes just going over and over and over. It takes exercise of it to see Jesus inside of that. There's a multiple different resources. One is J.D. Greer. He's at a church in South Carolina. The Bible Project is a website that have developed resources for you to literally see Jesus in every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I would look up Bible Project and see what they're doing because they give you a platform to see where Jesus is at in every bit of scripture. And as you read through it, you get to see his character, yes, but the good news of Jesus is in every book and is one unified story pointing to him. The question is this, as I eat the Bible, am I listening and looking? Am I listening for the Father and looking for Jesus? Now, as I close, there's a stat that is pretty jaw-dropping and shocking, and yet I think is something that shouldn't be so. 4% of Generation Z, which is 25 and younger, depending on what age you count it as, 4% of genera- Generation Z is, has a biblical worldview, which is the lowest that we've ever seen it. 12, 10, 8, 6, and now it's at 4. 
And I think sometimes the natural response is like, well, how do we fix that? Or how do we fix them? Or what are they doing wrong? Or how do we give them more resources? And I would beg us not to start there. I'm not sure it's their fault. I'm not sure that it's a cultural moment fault. I think eating the Bible has become something that we kind of have pushed to the side. It's not a regular thing that we delight in and enjoy. And when something isn't visibly practiced in front of you, how are you supposed to know how to practice it? So this might be a challenge if you're a parent in the room. Are your kids seeing you eat the Bible? And it could be a verse, just one verse. It could be a little devotional. Because here's the reality. I'm not trying to save a country. I'm trying to build a kingdom. If we want a kingdom to build, inside of that reality is how do we know what the kingdom is all about? Eating of the Bible is not some church measure. It is ultimately a practice that aligns our hearts to Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, and develops a new new idea of what it means to live with him. And if we don't want that number to go any further, it's not about how do we get it to them. Yes, it's a part of it. How do we start fashioning that visibly in our life? Not for the sake of salvation and earning it, but for the sake of ultimately reminding where you are at with Jesus. This is the passage for the year for me, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. You can exchange Bible or scripture inside of that. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What if eating the Bible became such a delight? Because first and foremost, it was my primary avenue to commune with the Savior of my life. And out of that, as I meditate and foster a mind around who he is and what he's done, I start to look more and more like him. And my tree becomes fruitful, not on my own doing, but because of him. Eating the Bible can be delightful. It can be delightful. And maybe for some of us that's hard to see, and I understand. Because I think we need to recognize, if we use the illustration born again very literally, some of us are spiritual babies, and that is not a knock on you. That's where we all start. Some of us, we're like, how can you enjoy the Bible because this is what our experience is like right now? And all it is is milk. And usually you're having someone help you feed it to you. And you're like, what in the world is this? And does it get any better? And you're kind of been there, done that, and it tastes the same, and it might be confusing, it might be rough, and you're like, how do I get something that actually tastes good? And as you grow up, what starts to happen is you find a delight in trying these new things, but it has to start somewhere. If we don't start somewhere, we'll go nowhere. If we go nowhere, we may never understand fully what Jesus means by his kingdom and what it means to follow him, and we'll always be grasping for that. So I have two challenges for you. Two challenges. My hope is this, not to kickstart some checklist, but to kickstart communing with Jesus. The first is for everybody, right? We have two challenges, a, a, a challenge and then a stretch challenge. Challenge one is for everybody. I encourage you to do this. Find your age 
and start eating. Find your age and start eating. It is healthy for you to know where you're at with Jesus spiritually. Some of us, we, we've not said yes to Jesus, and we are so glad you're here. You are welcome here. Even if you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus or you're just exploring, please keep coming and hanging out with us. Our goal is to invite you into seeing him and inviting, him, or inviting you into the home that he's made for us and his love. But for others of us, we're on the spiritual journey. We've said yes to Jesus. And we can need to find our place inside of that to understand where we need to be with eating the Bible. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, Paul says this, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Listen, 1 Corinthians is a pretty intense book. Paul is usually frustrated with that church. And I think you could read it in that lens. There's a tension to this statement. But I also think if you kind of look at it graciously also, that there could be a tension like, I can't give you anything else. But I think there's a side to it that's also gracious. That if you give a baby a steak, they're not going to know what to do with it. They're just going to like gnaw on it like, and just try to figure it out. They're not going to know how to eat that. It's not safe. It's not healthy. It's not dangerous. It's dangerous. I think you've got to read it through that in a little bit. So find yourself. I just laid it out here real, real simply, I hope. For some of us, we're a spiritual infant or a baby. Maybe you're newer to Jesus, or maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but your spiritual life maybe hasn't developed anywhere, and you're still a baby, even though you have been connected to church for a while. You're a spiritual baby, and spiritual infants need easy opportunities with others. Easy opportunities with others. That's why we develop these series guides, every series, easy opportunity for you to grab a hold of. Or maybe it's a reading plan on the Bible app. There's a QR code on the back wall that connects you to our church page on the YouVersion Bible app. And you can start following us and you can start seeing very simple, easy plans that you can get connected to and read with others. We'd encourage you, grab a series guide or check out the Bible app. It's a free app. And then join a life group. Life groups are not a checklist item. They are there to encourage you in your spiritual growth and to teach you how others read scripture. You need others around you because here's the reality. If I left my son at a month old with this, he wouldn't know what to do or have the capabilities of doing it. And it is a gracious way of saying you might need someone to walk alongside of you. For others of us, we're spiritual toddlers, right? Spiritual toddlers, they need easy training moments with mentors. You need a reading plan with others that maybe stretches you a little bit or a study Bible that gives you a little bit more information underneath of it. And then you need to find someone that you can invite into your life to say, could you teach me how you read the Bible? And could you walk with me week by week or biweekly? Call me, coffee shop with me, whatever it may be. Help me understand that. And if you're in that seat, come talk to me afterwards. We'd love to get you connected to someone, life group leader, a ministry leader, that we can connect with you on the Bible reading side. A spiritual student, right? For all my students in the room, you might be a spiritual student. You need stretched with supervision, a self-guided reading plan, maybe a reading plan that takes you through the Bible in a year, or maybe larger chunks at a time, and you need to do it with peers and or mentors at the same time. You need encouragement, because here's the reality. When I got to this plate, right, it was awesome, because I could just kind of eat what I wanted and do what I wanted with it, right? I didn't want the peas. I just ate more mashed potatoes, right? And sometimes we need to be stretched to eat the things that aren't comfortable eating, right, and aren't comfortable diving into. You need to be stretched with supervision. Lastly, if you're a spiritual adult, 
You need to feed yourself continually, and you need to learn how to feed others. This is a self-guided reading plan, and then you need to find the spiritual toddler around you or the spiritual student or spiritual baby and say, can you come with me and learn how to read scripture with me in life group, in one-on-one, in a one-on-two, whatever it may be. Here's the reality. If we don't do that, if we don't know our age and we don't start eating, we will either starve or we'll get overstuffed. Neither of those are healthy. I either starve because I just was given a bottle and I don't know what to do with it. And I'll be honest, I can do that to you guys sometimes. The church can do that. Like, hey, go do this stuff. Go read this stuff. And you're like, where, how, what, huh? And if you're there and you're starving, we want to help. But if you're there and you're, you're stuffed, you have all the information, you have all the knowledge, you've been through the circles, and you've never brought someone along with you, it becomes facts and information, not formation. And if that's where you're at, you need to start giving it away and showing people how you study the Bible inside of that. As the worship team comes up, the stretch challenge is this. This is the going above and beyond challenge, okay? The stretch challenge is this. Start chewing on it. Start eating, but start chewing on it, sitting on it, experiencing the flavor. And Here's what I mean spiritually. Take five minutes after you read scripture and journal about it. Right? Start actually chewing on it seeing what the flavors are, enjoying it, delighting in it, finding where to find the notes of Jesus and the gospel and his goodness. Just write to five minutes what you thought, what you saw, the words you connected to. That will allow you to start seeing repetitive things inside of what you're reading. Here's my hope. Here's my hope is that we as a church would learn to delight in eating our Bible that it would go from duty to delight. It would go from, that's how I do the church thing, to that's how I commune with Jesus. And Listen, it does not have to start with a reading plan, a year through the Bible, an hour in the morning. It can start with five minutes, a verse, writing some thoughts down. No matter where you're at, there is a place for you, and Jesus wants to be with you, and his word is waiting for you to find the richness and the beauty and the loveliness of it and ultimately find him in the midst of it. So Father, we come to you. We're grateful for you. Thank you that you go with us, that you're here with us, and that you give us your story, your love, your grace, your peace inside of your word. And may we fill ourselves up with it, not for the sake of getting something done, but for the sake of knowing you more, loving you more, knowing how loved we are, Father, would you grace us and give us a mercy to sit upon this last song, this last moment inside of this hour to be with you and to really be challenged by you. Make us aware of where our hearts need to be. Father, we're grateful for you. Pray this in your name.